You're listening to the news on RTHK. AM, FM and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday the 14th of June. A warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business and finance headlines. Fears over surging US inflation and an aggressive response from the Fed have upset global financial markets. Investors around the world fled risky assets, including stocks, bonds and cryptocurrencies. Metals also sank on slowing global growth fears. The US dollar soared, sending the Japanese yen to a 24-year low at one stage. As well as rising interest rates, investors were also unnerved by renewed COVID restrictions in Shanghai and Beijing. In Beijing, school reopenings that were planned for yesterday were postponed and all sports events were suspended. Many malls, gyms and other venues were closed. Parts of the city's public transport system were suspended and millions were urged to work from home. The government said on Monday that people who have permanently left Hong Kong and those who intend to do so won't be eligible for a new batch of $5,000 spending vouchers that will be handed out in August. Financial Secretary Paul Chan said there'd been criticism that the money should not go to people who have emigrated. People who have withdrawn their funds from their MPF accounts before 65 years old on the grounds of permanent departure will become ineligible. And the finance chief said more than 300,000 people living in Hong Kong who could one day be eligible to be a permanent resident will get half the money. Consumer prices in India stayed above the central bank's target of 6% last month. Retail inflation rose 7.04% in May from a year earlier. That compares with a 7.79% increase in April. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by James Wong at Leeds Securities and Jack Su of Credit Suisse. With a view from Japan is Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. Data on Friday, which showed US consumer price inflation hitting a 40-year high of 8.6% last month, led to a sell-off in shares across Asia, Europe and the US. On Wall Street, the S&P 500 tumbled to a new low for the year and fell back into bear market territory. The S&P 500 closed 3.9% lower at 3,750, with only five stocks closing higher. The index is down 22% from its January highs and is at its lowest level in almost 18 months. The Dow plunged 876 points, or 2.8%, to 30,517. The tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite, that closed down 4.7% at 10,809, taking its losses for the year to 31%. And the market cap of the four FANG stocks has now plunged to just $3 trillion, compared to $5.1 trillion US dollars at their peak in November 2021. European stocks fell to their lowest level since March 2021. The region-wide Stock 600 index tumbled 2.4% in its fifth straight session of falls. Germany's DAX fell 2.4% and France's CAC 40 index closed down nearly 2.7%. The UK's FTSE 100 ended 1.5% lower. In Asia, Japan's Nikkei 225 dropped 3% and the Cosby in South Korea fell 3.5%. 
In Hong Kong, stocks fell by the most in over five weeks. The Hang Seng, whose number of constituents expanded to 69 on Monday, tumbled 739 points, that's 3.4% to 21,068. The tech index gave up 4.7%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite was off 0.9% at 3,256. And traders will be watching to see if the People's Bank of China lowers its one-year medium-term lending facility rate tomorrow after leaving it unchanged for four months. And key China economic reports, including retail sales, industrial production, property investment and unemployment rates are all due for release tomorrow. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil rose a third of a percent to $122.24 per barrel. Dr. Copper fell 1.6% back to one-month lows. Gold dropped almost 3% on Fed tightening expectations to $1,819 an ounce. Treasury yields surged across the curve, led by shorter maturities, with the two-year jumping 33 basis points to 3.38% to the highest level since 2007. And that's the biggest spike in yields since US investment bank Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy in September 2008. The yield on the 10-year Treasury rose 21 basis points to 3.36%, the highest since 2011. And two-year Treasury yields rose above 10-year borrowing costs on Monday, joining the five-year, which is above the yield on the 30-year bond. Such inversions suggest traders believe that the Fed's aggressive monetary policy tightening could tip the U.S. economy into recession. Japan's 10-year yield rose above 0.25%, the upper end of the Bank of Japan's policy band. The Bank of Japan stepped in yesterday to buy more than 1.5 trillion yen of government bonds to defend its yield curve control targets. In the currency markets, the US dollar index rose for the fourth straight day, climbing 1% to the highest since April 2020. The Japanese yen slid to a 24-year low. and one stage during Tokyo trading, the yen fell below 135 against the US dollar for the first time since February 2002. The Japanese currency has since recovered and is at 134.28 versus the dollar this morning. The Indian rupee fell 0.4% to a new record low, below 78 per dollar. The euro slid 1% to $1.04. Sterling fell 1.5% to its lowest level against the dollar in two years yesterday, after the UK reported the economy contracted 0.3% in April. It's trading at $1.21 and a third cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and 52 cents. Offshore yuan weakened more than 500 pips to break through the 6.78 level. And cryptocurrencies were also hit in the rush to sell risky assets. Bitcoin fell below $25,000 for the first time since December 2020. In fact, it slumped over 25% to $22,400 right now. The decline was exacerbated by news that two big players in the crypto market had halted customer withdrawals due to the extreme market conditions. And around Asian stock markets, the sell-off is continuing this morning. The SX200 in Australia, which was closed yesterday for a holiday, is playing catch-up. That's down 5% at the moment. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has tumbled 1.8% at the open. The Cosby in South Korea is down over 1%. And futures markets pointing to decline of about 360 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning.
The time's 8.11. Let's join our guests to try and make some sense of what's been happening in the financial markets overnight. With us is James Wong, Managing Director and Chief of Investment Officer at Lead Securities. Morning, James. Good morning, Peter. And we're also joined by Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer of Greater, Ch- of Greater China Credit Suisse. Morning, Jack. Good morning. So as we heard there, a big sell-off around the world in all sorts of risky assets. We won't go through it again, but um, I'm wondering, this hasn't really come out of the blue, has it? This, it seems to me this was always on the cards. Once it became clear that inflation wasn't transitory and rates were going to have to go up by the most since 2008. I wonder what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, I think the 75%, uh, 75 pips uh, rate hike in this month is a 100% uh, event now, right now. And uh, we've been experiencing a, re- uh, a uh, rate hike event anxiety since last Friday. But I think the Hong Kong stock market held up pretty well, pretty strong in the face of a global meltdown. And uh, the the thing is, uh, we, we've seen the two years, the five years and the 10 years deals uh, being in extreme territories with two years, probably the most extreme ones, but uh, mostly extreme ones. But if we look at if we look at the rate hike uh, terminal rate uh, for the end of the rate hike cycle, we, we would see uh, the. Uh, the terminal rates spiked in the last two days by a very scary uh, degree. If if you can recall back in uh, early May, in uh, May 11th, I think, when the uh, CPI numbers was released for April, uh, three out of the four Fed officials spoke that day became pretty uh, dovish. And that started a wave of dovishness in among Fed officials and all the way till uh, Boston said about <clears throat> something about pausing the rate hike, possibly pausing the rate hike in September. And after that, we can see the uh, rate hike, the terminal rate derived from the short-term interest rate uh, dropped to about 2.6% uh, from about 2.95%. And uh, but in the last few days, this number has increased from around 2.8% to 3.8%, 3.68%. So mm-hmm. about 80 Bips in about two days. It's mm. very scary, and I, based on the rate hikes uh, expectations, and the uh, amount of uh, points that Nasdaq has been dropping, I think there is still more play, uh, more room for both Nasdaq and and uh, uh, S and P to go to go lower. And uh, okay. because yeah, I don't I don't think that they are they are proportional yet. Jack, what what are your thoughts? Well, the devil in the room is clearly inflation. Uh, inflation have surprised most economists on the streets and printed 8.6%, as you said, Peter. The underlying inflation was driven by services. Uh, flight prices went up 13%. Hotel prices went up 1% month on month. Uh, rental and, um, I guess, mortgage prices have gone up. And looking at the outlook, no one has certainty whether services can continue to raise prices. And therefore, in the next three to four months, uh, no one has certainty whether inflation will be rising above uh, 8.8 or 8.9 or falling back to 8.3. And it's this uncertainty that leaves investors with, okay, well, how do I price uh, equity markets in the mm. near term? So I think, right, the devil in the room definitely, um, as James pointed out, the rate high trajectory uh, is uncertainty. But then if I look at the pricing of the rate heights, uh, which is market price in, I think, uh, 50 basis point rate height in the next five meetings. And maybe okay. 75 basis points now uh, yeah. this week. 
and uh, this is possible. But we think that the Fed will hold at a 50 basis point this week. Uh, but then they will open the door for 75 basis point in July. And But that uh, opening up would depends on, I guess, next month's CPI. Yeah. Doesn't though, hasn't the Fed though really, it hasn't learned the lesson of history, is it? Which is once <laughs> you fall behind um, the the curve in fighting inflation, you end up in the situation exactly we're in today, where now they have a choice. They either have to slam on the brakes to try and control inflation and risk a recession, or they sort of tap on them lightly and risk inflation shooting up even further. And they can't say they weren't warned, can they? So many people were saying, um, you know, a year or so ago, you need to step in now and do something about, about inflation, but they didn't respond. I guess the difficulty of controlling I guess, the two mandates of uh, keeping unemployment at low levels and uh, controlling inflation, you know, it's a difficult time in the, in the transition from, I guess, unemployed people being uh, in mass numbers and having inflation started to rise. Uh, and that midpoint was hard to control. Mm-hmm. Uh, but looking ahead, I guess the catch-up play is going to hurt markets in the near term. And risk sentiment is definitely very fragile. But I wouldn't be surprised that uh, in this week's meeting, they raised by 50 basis point, which uh, I guess market uh, gets some comfort, uh, at least initially, that market could stage a small rebound. But thereafter, a uh, market could not have sufficient catalyst for a sustainable rebound, I guess. Um, James, the, the problem is the Fed can't step in this time to save the markets, can yeah. they? In the past, when they've been raising rates, if it looked like the market was going to take a big tumble, we had the famous Fed put, the Fed would ease off for a little bit uh, and support the markets. They exactly. just can't do that this time, can they? They've got to be seen to be fighting inflation now. So does that mean the sell-off is going to get worse? Yeah, exactly. If we uh, look at the S&P's performance in the past four days, we can see uh, last time it was this bad. It was exactly in March of uh, 2020. And then Fed stepped in and bought about $1 trillion worth of bonds from the market. And them basically injecting liquidity in the market but this time i think they are willing to see something broke so uh, price and of uh, and, and the asset bubble and and the everything bubble is something they're they're willing to see that going down a little bit if that's the price they're going to pay to stay with the uh, monetary policy the contractory monetary policy there they are enforcing right now so i, I don't think there is going to be a fed put even bostic the one the post probably the most dovish one among all fed officials said at the uh, uh, may 28th meeting that even if uh, Fed decided to pause a rate hike in September. That does not mean it could be defined as a Fed put. So I think the market is pretty clear about Feds uh, not being able to step in anytime sooner. So I think S&P is probably going to go down another couple hundred points to uh, 3,400 before Fed start to take action. Jack, what about Chinese stocks? They've obviously responded to this as well, but they have held up better, haven't they, than, than other markets. And in fact, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen quite a nice rebound in, uh, in Chinese markets. Do you think uh, that here could maybe be a more relative safe haven and, and Chinese stocks could be the outperformer? Well, I agree with you here, um, Peter. The China equity markets is undergoing, I guess, a better uh, regulatory crackdown dynamics, you know, as we think it's going to pause. And also uh, the, the fact that China equity positioning 
from foreign investors and domestic investors have been quite low. So mm. you will realize the sell-off, you will see much less downside uh, in China equities. And in the upside, you do see that Hang Seng Index tend to rise more than the United States in recent weeks. Uh, I guess we've been overweight positive Chinese risk. But no one's immune to a US equity market sell-off. Mm. Um, it, everyone's going to be impacted for this volatility, right? So I guess looking ahead, uh, with the US market becoming slightly and more uncertain, uh, we do see some more volatility. But then we will be met with some further supported news, uh, we think, on the regulatory front in the coming weeks. Um, so uh, I won't be ultimately bearish. And what I've also seen, I guess, uh, even today in the opening, uh, you know, we heard a lot of news from the reporting from you just earlier. But... Uh, S&P futures have started as a um, small rebound, um, so sentiment is not as bad. Hang Seng Index futures is only down 1.4%, versus, which is half the United States, right? So I think uh, we should not be too bearish about China, uh, but then the rate up will be more volatile than what we previously expect. James, do you, do you see uh, Chinese markets maybe outperforming? Uh, I, I surely hope so, because we have some uh, pretty... A big stake in in the China uh, in in a, in a, in an area, and uh, I think that the key difference is this time around the ones who are really buying the Chinese stocks are the foreign investors uh, because we can see some signs from a from the uh, <coughs> the the primary markets as well as the secondary markets. Primary markets wise, we've seen Chinese IPOs in U.S. stock markets has uh, regained some uh, investor interests and institutional interests, and uh, so. Uh, we've seen uh, buy flows from uh, outside and foreign investors for the past week on Hansen Tech uh, stocks and uh, some of the more uh, prominent uh, constitu- constituents of Hansen Index. And uh, I think the key difference is foreign investors starts to have a little bit more confidence in the so-called policy bottom for Hong Kong and uh, for uh, Chinese stocks, especially the tech stocks. So they start to buy a little by little. And then if we look at the look back at the end of May, we can see uh, the, the, the the U.S. stock market enjoyed about a five to six day six trading session rebound. And after the rebound, even J.P. Morgan and Golden, Goldman Sachs come out and say uh, it's probably a little more expensive to buy, keep buying the rebound for uh, U.S. stocks right now. It's probably more uh, more reasonable to buy the still very cheap Chinese tech stocks. So that's the mentality overseeing Chinese uh, stocks rebounding for the last about two weeks. But the thing is, if we see panic over foreign investors in their own turf uh, in, in U.S. stocks, uh, it's, it's probably going to be a problem for them to buy something else uh, mm-hmm. in another regional market. Okay. If, Jack, if, if- if the uh, futures markets are right and the Fed's bench- benchmark interest rate gets to 3.6% by the end of the year, which is what they're now forecasting, what does that mean for Hong Kong, where obviously we're pegged to the US dollar, the HKMA is going to have to uh, follow the Fed? Um, what's it mean for the Hong Kong economy? Well, number one, uh, we will not have as much of an inflation problem here. Uh, because the fact that the currency is stronger than other currencies, the fact that interest rate is high, which means a flow of money uh, leaving Hong Kong versus another economies, which will be much slower. Um, so I think this is actually not that much of a bad news as people think. Um, and as an economy, uh, rate highs will definitely have downside pressure for many of us uh, who hold mortgages. Mm-hmm. Um, and that pressure will, I guess, 
I guess, take away some of the uh, consumer sentiments on how they're going to spend money, right? Um, but the rest of us, you know, we know in the statistics, two-thirds of people have already paid off their mortgages, for those who own a house. And, and you question whether that raises a pressure. And for those people who just have excess cash and disposable income, they will be earning higher interest rate from the account. Mm-hmm. So actually, that will boost their income. Uh, I think the situation is two-way. Um, there is some upside opportunity for many of us uh, who just have a lot of cash sitting around. And there is, uh, I guess, more resilient dollar, which means inflation will not rising as much for Hong Kong. So actually, it's going to be a still uh, a stable environment for Hong Kong. But the, the problem is, of course, isn't it, that when you have surging inflation like this, it's always the poorest in society who are the most hardest hits. They're the ones who spend the greatest proportion of their income on food and energy and clothing, and they're the ones who, who, who feel this pinch the worst. Indeed, and, and therefore having a stable currency and keeping inflation under control, which we are, uh, suggests that the upside risk to prices uh, you know, will be limited and that will have less damage to the society. James, just finally, I mean, obviously, Hong Kong isn't in such a bad shape as the rest of the world in terms of debt, but there are many countries around the world that have really, since the financial crisis, racked up an enormous amount of debt and companies and individuals. This is a big problem for them, isn't it? Oh, yes, especially the uh, peripheral European countries. I think they can't really stand a high inflation with the inflation-blind ECB. Uh, That's why we've seen uh, European countries, especially like Italy and uh, uh, Portugal and Spain has their uh, their uh, spread, their bond spread against the bond, the, the German bond, uh, being uh, skyrocketed. So that's that's probably on a country level. Okay, well, thank you very much for your thoughts there. That's James Wong, managing director and chief investment officer at Lead Securities. Jack Su, chief investment officer of Greater China at Credit Suisse. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Times 8.25, a quick announcement from the Transport Department due to a traffic accident. The following road sections are still closed to all traffic. All lanes of Lungcheng Road flyover, uh, Kwantong bound near Choi Hung Estate, and the fast lane of Lungcheng Road flyover, Tunwan bound near the Choi Hong Estate, are closed. Uh, let's just go and join William Pesic, Tokyo-based journalist and author, who's on the phone from Japan. Morning, William. Good morning, sir. So in this market uh, sell-off of all sorts of risky assets that we're seeing at the moment, Japan uh, hasn't escaped this. It seems to be showing up most of all in the Japanese yen, doesn't it? Sliding now to a 24-year low um, against the US dollar, and it could reach the lows uh, that it hit in the the 2002 banking crisis, which was 135.15, and then it did get to 145 during the 1998 Asian financial crisis. What does this all mean for Japan? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's terrible news. Um, I think it's a culmination of, I think, uh, it's certainly a 20-year policy, but certainly the last eight-year policy of weakening the yen. Um, you know, suddenly Japanese government is realizing that they've finally gotten what they wanted, which is the yen weakening to a certain level and inflation returning to a certain extent. But uh, they're finding out that, you know, it's a, it's a be careful what you wish for situation because now they're losing control of the yen. What I found fascinating is that until now, people have paid very little attention to the yen's moves. You know, we, historically, when the yen makes very, very sharp moves, it's bad for the global economy because people tend to borrow a lot in yen and they redistribute that money into higher yielding assets elsewhere. So when the yen moves sharply 
it normally pulls the rug out from markets everywhere. Mm. We haven't seen that very much recently until this week. And so you have the yen sliding, you've got the yen falling in, in, you know, in Congress with Bitcoin, <laughs> which is not something, not an association <laughs> that the Tokyo government wants. But it certainly means that 2022 is not the year Japan had hoped for. Mm. And, and yesterday, the 10-year JGB yield rose above 0.25%, which is the upper end of the Bank of Japan's policy band. And the Bank of Japan stepped in. It bought more than 1.5 trillion yen of government bonds yesterday. Uh, to put that into context, if the current pace of buying persists, uh, the bank will have bought about 10 trillion yen in June, which is roughly equivalent to the Fed buying about 300 billion US dollars of QE per month. I mean, this is an extreme level of money printing, isn't it? Especially when other central banks are tightening policy. It is indeed. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about will the Bank of Japan begin uh, intervening in currency markets to stop the yen from falling. They're really too busy at the moment intervening in the bond market. And the mm. problem is that, you know, about 90% of Japanese government bonds are held domestically. So you can argue that's a good thing. So you won't really have much of a, a yen run in terms of foreign markets and, the, and, and Japanese debt. But the BOJ holds the vast majority of outstanding JGBs. So in many ways, the Bank of Japan is basically protecting its own portfolio as much as it's trying to keep rates from, from rising. And I think what you have is a situation where Nikkei traders, you know, stock investors are looking at the bond market and they're realizing that uh, some, you know, some trouble is afoot. And whenever mm. the Japanese yen falls the way it's falling at the moment, it's very bad for bond yields. And so the BOJ really is in a battle uh, with, with bond traders at this point. And, and if the yen does fall off the cliff, um, if, if you're a domestic holder of, of yen-denominated savings or Japanese um, equities, w what do you do? Do you, do you flee and go into dollars or something else? <laughs> well, you know, for those of us being paid in yen, it's a, it's a very difficult time. Peter, I'm almost tempted to ask you for a loan <laughs> today. Um, but no, I mean, I, seriously, though, um, from a psychological standpoint, this is exactly what Japan doesn't want right now. There's been a lot of hope about the economy reopening, reopening from the COVID era. Um, there's been hope for, you know, Japan letting in foreign tourists and to benefit from the weak yen. But in many ways, when you look at what it's doing to Japanese purchasing power, when, it's, when you look at what it's doing to investor sentiment, to corporate sentiment, to household sentiment, I think that the, the effects of the yen falling are, are, are very serious at this point. It's, it's a headwind that, the, that the, Jap the Japanese government did not expect. And I think for Prime Minister Fumio Kishida, um, who is tenure is approaching the one-year mark. This is really the first crisis of his tenure, so we'll see what happens. The Bank of Japan's in a complete hole, isn't it? Because the more global inflation picks up, the more the Bank of Japan has got to intervene to buy government bonds to, and print money to do so. And the more it does that, uh, the, the chances are it's going to have to slam on the brakes when it does get inflation really surging, which almost seems inev inevitable. It's true. I mean, I think Japan, the Bank of Japan is an impossible situation. And I think that we have a, a somewhat of a pyramid scheme of the BOJ's own making, right? So they've basically, their portfolio is now basically double the size of the Japanese economy at this point. And any, any kind of spike in bond yields will hurt their balance sheet as much as the economy. So in many ways, the BOJ is in a process right now where it's just trying to maintain this pyramid scheme that that is of its own making. And if, you know, if you're Governor Kuroda, um, 2022, once again, is, is not the year you expected. And I think in many ways, in the months ahead, uh, he's got quite a battle on his hands. And, you know, the, the yen's fall drop is beginning to make global headlines. 
in ways that Japan doesn't need either. So it's going to be interesting. Okay, William, thank you very much for that. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pessick. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Tokyo, stocks are slipping further right now. The Nikkei 225 is down 1.8%. Uh, the SX200 in, in Australia is down about 5%. Cosby in South Korea is off 0.8%. And futures markets pointing to a decline of about 360 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and bringing you further updates on what's going on in the financial markets. Please do join me for that. Stay tuned for COVID updates with Jim Gould and Anna Fenton in just a moment after the news. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, showers and a few squally thunderstorms, maximum temperature of about 30 degrees. And those showers and thunderstorms are going to last into the next few days. It's 29 degrees right now, 82% relative humidity. It's 8.31 and a half. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. A transport expert says Hong Kong needs to do more to get people out of cars and onto public transport. Commenting on a Transport Bureau proposal to impose congestion charges at the city's three harbour tunnels, Alok Jane, the CEO and Managing Director of TransConsult, which provides advisory services on transportation, said the SAR's bus and rail system was fantastic, with 70% of the population living within one and a half kilometres of a railway station. He called for the government to introduce dedicated lanes for buses, including in tunnels. There's a good case of doing so. If you look at, say, for example, all the tunnels, Cross Arbor tunnels, uh, you know, 80% of the people actually move through 10% of the vehicles, which are buses. And hence, there is a very good case, very good argument here for uh, having one lane dedicated to bus lanes. And that is something that uh, people have been asking for quite some time. And I think this is also a good opportunity when they are doing the dynamic pricing is to allocate one lane in each tunnel for buses uh, in the morning peak. The government has moved to make sure people who have permanently left Hong Kong or who intend to do so won't get the next $5,000 batch of spending vouchers in August. The Financial Secretary Paul Chan says authorities will consider whether a person has been away from Hong Kong since June 2019 without specific reasons, as well as indications that someone might not return. But Mr Chan said more than 300,000 people who are on course to become permanent residents would get the vouchers. The idea of the consumption voucher scheme is to try to stimulate the economic activities. This is an initiative uh, welcomed by the general public in general. So we do think that given the affordability, given the overriding objective of uh, stimulating the economy, it would be good to uh, include additional beneficiaries so that we can share the joy of spending the consumption voucher together. A second day of hearings by the U.S. Congressional Committee investigating the attack last year on the Capitol building has heard that Donald Trump was detached from reality. According to recorded video testimony from his former Attorney General, William Barr, as the result of the last presidential election came in, Mr Trump showed no interest in the facts. Mr Barr said Mr Trump instead preferred to embrace what he described as nonsense and crazy stuff. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to be a part of it. And that's one of the reasons that went into me deciding to leave when I did. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to COVID Update. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Anna Fenton. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, Jim. The Centre for Health Protection says it's keeping